0: Morning. That was a weak one, but uh, (laughs) glad you're here. Um, My name is Mark Carey. I have a name. That's Mark. And uh, you have a name. Uh, You're sitting next to people who have a name. And um, so let's stand for a moment and the person next to you or maybe behind you, why don't you just say, hey, my name is, and give them your name just for a moment. (laughs) All right. I didn't say exchange addresses. uh. (laughs) Great. Throughout my years of ministry, I've always tried to remember names. I I just think it's important to remember names Uh, as the church gets bigger and and I get older, it it, it gets harder and harder. But I've always thought it's important. The name. Um, is important it, 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 you remember a name it gives value it, it communicates um, you're special and it's important as Paul writes this final chapter this these final greetings of uh, the romans that we 're going to we 're going to look at this morning he mentions names these are real people that had real names and he writes those names and he's he 's connected with these with these people and we're going to listen to this chapter being read, and let's kind of just pretend that we are part of that church in Rome 2,000 years ago. Let's, as this is being played, this, these final closing words of the Apostle Paul, think as if we were in that church sitting next to some of these people that he is greeting here. What would it have been like to be in that church at Rome? Listen as it's played.
1: I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Senkrii. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, and Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, Greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's clear
0: that Paul, um, he cared for these people. He calls them by name. And even though Paul had never been at this church in Rome, obviously he knew these people. They had been from uh, the church in Corinth or Ephesus and had somehow ended up in Rome. And he, he writes this letter because he cares for these people. Um, he had a real heart and passion for them. 20, Twenty-four names are specifically mentioned from the church of Rome here. And then two households are mentioned. Um, Eighteen of those names... Have a, a Greek uh, background to them, Greek, Greek origin. Eight of those names have a Latin origin. There's diversity in the church. Eight women are specifically named and, and named, and two others uh, are are unnamed but are referred to. Um, it was a, a unique group of people, and Paul loved them. And he, he calls them by name, um, and I want to just walk through some of these names and and paint a little background for you on some of these names. Real people, real lives in a real church 2,000 years ago. Like Phoebe, there in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. She's a servant of the church which is at Sencria and that was uh, a port city right outside Corinth. And he says in verse 2, I commend, you to, uh, to, uh, commend uh, to you our sister that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints." Now, it's apparent that Phoebe was sent from that church in Corinth, or Sincrea, and it's believed that she actually was the one who carried the letter, the epistle of Romans, to the Roman church. And Paul is saying, "I, I commend her to you. Receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, that you'll help her in whatever manner she may have need of, for she herself has also been a helper to many and of myself as well. It's kind of interesting. Here's a, a, a woman of, of great distinction, um, of great reputation, of great character, so much so that Paul entrusts his letter to, to send with Phoebe to go to the church at Rome. She might have been a businesswoman like, like Lydia uh, in Philippi and was doing business in Rome. We don't know, but um, he has high regard for Phoebe. The word servant um, can be used a few times for a, for that office of a deacon. Some think she might have been the deaconess of the church there. It's a general term, just as a helper, a servant of the Lord. She had distinguished herself with character and uh, in service of the church. And he sends the, the letter with her. You know, can you imagine? She goes to the church at Rome and she seeks out the next couple, Prisca and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. And they had been in the church at Corinth, so they, she probably knew them. And she brings this scroll that says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Take care of her. Love on her. She's a wonderful lady. And she's bringing the letter. Signed, Paul, the apostle. It's like, wow! Accommodation from Paul. And it adds, um, I think, Uh, credibility to this woman. It adds uh, the genuineness of the letter in which he is sending. Um, He was very careful in sending this letter through the life of a very, very important person, Phoebe. And then there in verse 3 and 4, Prisca and Aquila. Greet Prisca and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also All the churches of the Gentiles. Here here was an amazing couple. We know a little bit about them because uh, we're first introduced to them when Paul went to Corinth and he met them. Uh, Acts chapter 18 puts it this way, Paul found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the the emperor of Rome, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working for by trade. They were tent makers. So here was a Jewish couple who had been living in Rome, but there was a, a, uh, an issue that was happening in Rome and, and Claudius the governor said, I've, I've, I've had it with you Jews, and he kicked them out of Rome. And so they end up in Corinth and there they meet Paul. Now so important was this couple that later in chapter 18, in verse 18, Paul takes Aquila and Priscilla with him when he goes to Ephesus. And that's chapter 19 of, uh, of Acts. And we won't take the time to go there, but in Acts chapter 19, there's Paul in Ephesus. And something he said, and it's written there in, in, the, in uh, Acts chapter 19, but something he said stirred up the whole town, the whole city. And there's a riot, there's a mob scene. And they're out to get Paul. Now Paul says here in his letter that Aquila and Priscilla risked their own neck to save his. It's possible in that mob riotous scene in, uh, in Ephesus, they did something to, to protect Paul. But um, he loves them very dearly, and um, they risked their necks to help him. It says in verse 5, greet the church that is in their house. So here they are back in Rome, and they've opened their house, their home, to a home, a house church. And that's, of course, how churches met back in those days. They didn't have buildings. There was house churches or even probably little rental small places where, where 10, 12, 15 people would meet, the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ. Some indicate that in every place here in Romans 16 where Paul says, greet this person, it's possible that he's saying greet The house church that meets with you. So every greeting might have been another house church or or gathering of believers. We really don't know how big this church in Rome was. Um, Some say maybe it was a few hundred, some say it was a few thousand. I'm under the understanding that it's probably bigger than what we realize. There's 15 of these greetings, uh, but there must have been a lot more. Uh, Only about seven years after Paul writes this letter, he wrote it in AD 57. And around A.D. 64, Nero, the emperor of Rome, starts a persecution of Christians. Um, Rome had burnt and, you know, Nero was accused of starting it, but he had to have a scapegoat, so he picked the Christians. And there was a pretty severe persecution happening in Rome. That was only seven years after Paul wrote this letter. This gathering of believers had to be big enough to be a legitimate scapegoat for Nero just seven years later. So it, it could have been in the hundreds, maybe even in the in thousands of people. And Paul writes this letter and he's, he circulates it uh, around that church in Rome. Um, th- th- there was some serious Jesus business going on in the, in, the, in the city of Rome. We continue down this list. You see different people, unique stories. Um, there, there, there's these are real people with a real name that has a real uh, story of life connected with them. Look at um, right there in verse 5, Eponidas. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Now there's a story. I mean, you bet that guy's got a story. The first convert in Asia. Now Ephesus would have been the kind of the capital city of, of Asia, Asia Minor, and When Paul went there and evangelized, the very first guy who got saved was Eponidas. And uh, he must have stood out to the Apostle Paul. I mean, it it was like, wow, God, you're doing something. Here's the first convert in Asia, Eponidas. Now he's in Rome. And Paul says, greet this guy. I love him. He's my beloved. Uh, Jot down to verse 7. He says, greet Adronicus and Junius, my kinsmen my kinsmen, not his personal family members, but he meant Jewish um, fellow Jews. Now, in the New American Standard and the NIV translation, it states it in a masculine, Junius. Greet um, Andronicus and Junius. If you've got a King James and an English Standard version, it's in the feminine. Junia, because, and the reason there there were some different manuscripts, ancient manuscripts, and some was in the masculine, and some uh, put it in the feminine. I tend to believe that it's the feminine, that this is a husband and wife team. Andronicus and Junia uh, greet them, these, these fellow Jews of mine. He mentions four things about them. They were fellow Jews. Second of all, he says, they were my fellow prisoners. Now again, there's a story there. We don't know what it is. You can only speculate what it was. But here was a couple who stood for Jesus. They didn't back away and somehow with the Apostle Paul, they got thrown in jail together. Um, They were strong for Jesus. The third thing it says about them, um, it says they were outstanding, who are outstanding among the apostles. They are Highly reputed. They are highly acknowledged among the apostles. You know, Peter, James, John, the the, the apostles. Highly regarded. Now, why would they be identified as, as, boy, they're the people, every apostle knows those guys. Well, the very, the fourth thing, the next phrase. They were also, who were also in Christ before me. In other words, they had come to faith in Jesus even before the Apostle Paul had. Now, the Apostle Paul may have come to know Jesus on that road to Damascus, that story in Acts chapter 9, maybe a a year, year and a half, two years after the church was started in Jerusalem in the day of Pentecost. Jesus had ascended for 40 days. He's teaching and then he, or Jesus had been raised and then for 40 days he's teaching and then he ascends into heaven from the Mount of Olives. And he tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the power comes. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends. I have a sneaky suspicion that Andronicus and Junia were there. Uh, They were there. They're they're well-known among the apostles. They might have been with that group of 120 that men in the upper room praying. They might have been, in fact, go back. They might have been Part of the f- group of 500 believers to whom Jesus appeared after he was raised. Think of that. Here's Andronicus and Junia. They are, they are well known, well acknowledged among the apostles because they were one of the first believers to enter the, this new entity called the church of Jesus Christ. Man, do they have a story? Do they have a history? They've got a name, Andronicus and Junia, and Paul loved them. Paul loved him. You keep um, reading, look at verse 10. Greet apellus, the approved in Christ, it says. Now, what, what does that mean, approved in Christ? Greet apellus, approved in Christ. Well, the word approved is a Greek word, dokamas that, that conveys this idea of having been tested and then found to be genuine, Approved. It implies testing and then found to be approved. The apostle Peter uh, put it this way in First Peter chapter 1. He said, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, there's the word, dakamos the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, having been tested by fire and found approved. Now, again, I'm reading between the lines here, but I have a sneaky suspicion again, Apollos, man, he's got a story, and I have a sneaky suspicion Apollos was carrying on his body the the marks of suffering I think this guy had been probably tortured, had gone through persecution. He had gone through the fire because Paul says he's approved in Christ. He's been tested and approved. Greet that brother, says Paul. Apollos, uh, Apollos, I greet you in the name of Jesus. Um, Go to right after that, verse 10. Last part of verse 10. Greet those who are the household of Aristobulus, Verse 11, greet Herodian, my kinsman, another Jew, and then greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now, he doesn't specifically greet Aristobulus or Narcissus. We don't know if they're still living or what the situation was. He's greeting the household, uh, maybe family members, but probably servants that had come to faith in Jesus. And they were of the household of Aristobulus. They were of the household of Narcissus. Now, again, we don't know for sure, but there's some interesting backgrounds here. Prominent names, otherwise Paul wouldn't mention them, the household of Aristobulus. It's interesting that the great king Herod had a grandson by the name of Aristobulus who lived in Rome. And some believe that it was this Aristobulus, this grandson of Herod the Great, who had some servants in his home that had come to faith in Christ. Aristobulus was probably maybe dead by now. But Paul is saying, those who are in the household of Aristobulus, people would have known that name in Rome. Same thing with Narcissus. Again, history tells us there was a wealthy Roman by the name of Narcissus, who when Nero became the emperor, Nero, something he didn't like him very well and he forced Narcissus to commit suicide. That's written in the annals of Roman history. Was that the same Narcissus? Very possible it it, it could be. And all Paul is saying is, hey, there are are fellow church members in the household of Aristobulus and Narcissus. I greet them. And then uh, sandwiched in between them was the name Herodian. Um, so there's these, these connections with, um, um, with, with uh, the, kind of the governmental officials. They, they have that name, Herodian, uh, Aristobulus, and Narcissus. Real people, real people in those households um, who are part of the, the church of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Here's an interesting couple, Trephina and Tryphosa. Tryphina and Tryphosa. Now, the names, um, the, the kind of the root concept of those names, the etymology of those names, convey the idea of, of dainty and delicate. These are two women, and their names convey this idea of dainty and delicate. And I, I'm reading between the lines here, but I picture here as two young gals. They might, some believe they might have been sisters, maybe twins. Their names are familiar, Trifina and Trifosa. Delicate and dainty. But notice how Paul describes them. Workers in the Lord. And that word workers means intense workers. In other words, here was dainty and delicate, Trophina and Trophosa. And man, did they work hard for Jesus. And Paul just loved them. Greet them, Trophina and Trophosa. Man, do they know how to work for Jesus. Just don't good and dainty gals, but man, they love Jesus. Related to that, verse, um, last part of verse um, 12, greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, and notice the tense here, who has worked hard. Trephina and Trofosa are working hard. Persa has worked hard in the Lord. I suspect that Persis was the grand matriarch of this church. Elderly, probably older in years. Her um, greatest activity in life in the church is, is, is over. Um, she's probably got some good case of arthritis and different things happening. but she loves the Lord, and, and, and Paul loves her. Oh, my beloved Persis. Man, There's a gal who has worked hard for the Lord. Just greet her for me. This matriarch of the church. Uh, Verse 13, here's Rufus, a choice man, a unique man in the Lord. And greet his mother, and mine says Paul. Not that Rufus and Paul were brothers but, and again we don't know the background but when Paul got saved, he probably got connected with a buddy, Rufus, and Rufus invited him over to the house for some lunch, and Rufus' mom, like, like a typical Jewish mom, you know, would just kind of pour out the food on Paul and love on him and, and uh, you know, just hover over him and adopted him, kind of like a son. And Paul says, greet Rufus and greet his mom too because she's been like a mom to me. Now, Rufus, he said, is unique. He's a choice man in the Lord. Is there anything else we know about this guy, Rufus? I suspect there is. You remember when Jesus was after his trials and he was led away to be crucified, the Via Dolorosa, and he's carrying the beam on his shoulders. He's been scourged. He's lost so much blood, he's, he's laboring as he heads to Golgotha and at one point he stumbles and the Roman grabs someone out of the crowd, makes him carry the cross beam of Jesus the rest of the way. Mark records it for us. Mark chapter 15 says that a certain man from Cyrene named Simon mm, the father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, Mark wrote his gospel to Roman believers. His audience uh, were Roman believers. Rufus was in the church of Rome, and I'm pretty certain that when Paul greets this Rufus, it was that Rufus. Whose father had carried the crossbeam? Can you imagine the story this guy has? I mean, Simon of Cyrene carries that crossbeam. He sees the nails being pounded in the, in, into the hands of Jesus, into the feet of Jesus, raised up, g- breathing his last. It is finished, Father. Into my hands I commend my spirit. Simon of Cyrene was there, and he passes this on to his sons, Alexandria and Rufus. The stories, the the, the, the richness of that home. And now Rufus is in Rome, and he had connected with Paul, and Paul greets this choice man, this unique man in the Lord, and his mom as well. Real people, got real stories. They got real backgrounds and, and uniquenesses. Um, one more, look at, look at verse 15. <clears throat> Griephalologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, Nereus. Now, I don't know, again, for sure on this at all. William Barclay, in his commentary, tells this really fascinating story. Paul wrote this letter in AD 57. In AD 95, there was a couple in Rome, in the city of Rome, who had converted to Christianity, they were found out they were arrested and convicted of being Christians. It was Flavius Clement and his wife Dom- Domatella. They were convicted for being Christians. Flavius Clement was executed for his faith in Jesus. Their older couple. Domatella was not executed. She was exiled to a, an island, Pontus. Why was she not killed? because Domitilla was the granddaughter of Vespasian, a former emperor of Rome. She had royal blood. This was a, a well-known family in Rome. They had been in the upper echelons. In fact, she was the niece. Her uncle was the current emperor, Domitian. And she was found out to be a Christian. And her husband is executed, and she is sentenced to live the rest of her days in Pontus. Now, in the writings regarding Flavius and Domitella, they had a, 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 a slave, a servant, the household manager of their finances, who took care of all their finances. He was a slave and his name was Nereus. Now, I'm reading between the lines here, folks. This was a real guy, Nereus. He had a real story. And it is believed that Nereus, the slave, had come to faith in Jesus Christ. He was part of the church in Rome. Paul writes the letter in 57, And you can only imagine that through his witness and his love for Jesus, he shared the good news of Jesus with his masters, Flavelius Kemen and Domitella. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ and Flavius gives his life for the cause of Christ. Domitilla is exiled for the cause of Christ. And they came to know Jesus through Nereus. Greet Nereus. Um, real people. Uh, real people in Rome with real names, and Paul loved them. Now, jump down to verse 21, because as Paul is writing this letter, he wants to send greetings from fellow believers in Corinth. He says, uh, verse 21, there's Timothy. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my my kinsman, a Jewish follower of Jesus. Verse 22 says, I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Ah, so Paul had a secretary. So Paul dictated this letter and Tertius wrote it down. So Tertius said, I'm going to stick my little thing in here too. I, Tertius, greet you in the Lord as does verse 23, Gaius, Paul said, who uh, has hosted me and the whole church. Gaius was uh, a person in Corinth of probably some means. He had a large enough house and the church met in his house. And then also mentioned is Erastus, the city treasurer or the, the, the city administrator, Uh, Another high official, another person of means. Um, In fact, archaeologists in the past dug up a paver in the streets of Corinth with Erastus' name on it, city manager or whatever it says, treasurer of the city, Erastus. I mean, this guy, they were up there in the upper echelons of the city, Gaius and Erastus. And then he said, uh, and, and, and Quartus, the brother. Four people mentioned here. Now, here's the interesting thing. So you've got Gaius and Erastus. They're the, you know, people of means, the wealthy people, probably from Corinth. Tertius, his name means three, the third. Quartus, his name means the fourth. Now, the third and the fourth. I mean, maybe their moms had so many kids they didn't know how to name them, so they can one, two, three, four, five. I don't know. I do know that Slaves in households in Rome would be given a number. There was the number one servant. They, they were the bigger one in charge, number two. Number three, their name was Tertius. Number four, Quartus. So here was the number three slave, probably in Gaius' home, the number four slave, Quartus. And they're mentioned in the same breath, in the same line as the bigwigs of Corinth, Gaius and Erastus. Don't you just love that? In Christ, there is there's none of this hierarchy. We're all one in Christ, and whether they were wealthy or or slaves, it didn't matter. We are one family in Christ, and and Paul puts it all together and gives those greetings. Real people, real names. The body of Christ, the family of God. In Rome, there were women who served faithfully, who worked hard for Jesus. There were slaves who quietly followed Jesus, even at risk to their own life. There were wealthy business people. There were elderly saints. There were young, dainty, and delicate disciples of Jesus Christ. There were married couples. There were, were singles who were serving Jesus. Old converts like Adronicus and Junia, who'd been walking with Jesus for many years. There were new converts in Christ. There were Jews. There were Greeks. There were people from Rome, from uh, Corinth, from Ephesus, from uh, Judea. A hodgepodge of people. Different stories, different walks of life. But they all had a name. They were real people. Had a real story and they were part of the family of God. There was one body, one gathering. And in our local church here at Fellowship Bible Church, we are a diverse group of people. Different walks of life, different backgrounds, um, different socioeconomic levels, different life experiences. Women and men and boys and girls and old and young. A diverse group of people. But we all have a name. (laughs) We all have a story. A real person in a, in a real church, just like the church in Rome 2,000 years ago. One body in Christ. And if you name this church as your your, your church home, uh, you're, you're valuable, you're important to the life of this church. Friendships are forged in, in the life of a church. Friendships are forged in the life of the church. Caring and... and Um, encouraging relationships happen in the life of the church. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Admonishing and accountability, lovingly accountability takes place in the body of Christ. You see, there should be no lone ranger Christians. We need each other. We're all part of the family, just like that local church in Rome. And As big as we are in four different surfaces, yeah, I realize that's hard to do. But we cannot lose sight of the fact we all have a name. We all have a story. We all have a reason why God has brought you here, even this morning. It's no accident that you're sitting in those chairs. There's a reason God has brought this body together. You know, less than 10 years after Paul wrote this letter, I mentioned it early, AD 64, Persecution hit the church. I mean, it was severe. They say Nero started the fire in Rome and then he needed a scapegoat. Oh, those Christians. Was it Nereus that was stuck on a, on a stake and dipped in oil and lit on fire to light up Nero's gardens? Was it Andronicus? Would it possibly have been the the sweet sisters Trophina and Trophosa, who gave their life just seven years later after after this was written? We don't know. But the church suffered in just a few years after Paul wrote this. But they were a body. They they knew each other's names. They They were friends in Jesus and they prayed for one another. They loved each other they suffered together. And folks, don't think for one minute that we're going to escape that here in the good old U.S. of A. This world hates Christians. And there's a persecution coming to a city near you, maybe very soon. We see it already beginning. Folks, we need to see each other as a family. We need to know each other's names. That's where it starts. We need to come together. We need to get involved in a small group, a women's group, a men's group, a community group, gathering together where we really forge the friendships and we have accountability and we we gather together just like the early church did because times of suffering are coming. They're coming. So important was this for the Apostle Paul that in his closing words, he has to, he, he's just got to issue this final warning. Verse 17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. Turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting for the report of your obedience has reached to all. And therefore I'm rejoicing over you, but I I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil, for the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know what concerned Paul? This gathering of the the, the, the church of, of where these dear people met, these friends of his and and maybe hundreds of others gathered in the church at Rome. His concern was dissensions could take place, could splinter off the church. False teaching, pulling people away from that beautiful unity of faith. Watch out, said Paul. Guard against that. I believe the number one problem facing the church of Jesus Christ today is the lack of sound teaching. We're living in a day and age where the, the divisiveness and the dissensions are probably greater maybe than they ever have been before. All sorts of things are pulling at the church and bringing division. And we must not let it happen here. very final thing that Paul wrote before he's executed. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why, Paul? because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they're going to turn away their ears from the truth, turn aside to myths. That was Paul's concern for the church at Rome. Man, I love you guys, he said. As you, has Tertius write that, he's, he's got these people's faces in his brain, Eponidas and Rufus and Junia and Mary and Trephina and trifosa and, and his burden was, oh, I pray that it'll stay pure, true. A church that is focused on the truth of God's word and growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Guard against dissensions that can split you apart. That's focused on his final, that's the thought in his final benediction, starting in verse 25. He says, And now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past and now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, He said, now to him who is able to establish, to, the word is to strengthen. It's it's the word sterizo, where we get a word steroids. (laughs) He said, I know you can be strong, and I know he's able to do it, and he can establish you. That's what, Paul began his epistle that way, chapter one. He said, I can't wait to come to Rome and share some spiritual gift with you so that you can be established, so that you can be a strong church, stronger than what you already are. And how is that establishment, how does that church stay strong spiritually for Jesus in the tough times that are coming? He tells us, according to the good news and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's what the Gospel of uh, uh, of Romans was all about. It's the preaching about Jesus, the good news that he died and he rose again, and it's all over the book of Romans. He tells us, I'm I'm preaching this to you because that's how you are declared right before God. You are justified by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are sanctified by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the teaching of Jesus, the good news. It's the book of Romans. And that we have died with Christ, we've been buried with him, and we've been raised up to newness of life with him. Keep fighting the fight of faith, says Paul. I will esta- you will be established by the teaching of Jesus, and he says, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past. What's that? That's the New Testament. The teaching of the epistles in the New Testament, and he said by the scriptures of the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Preach the word. Get into the book and do it together with people whose names you know, who you love. That's how a church is going to handle the tough times that are going to come. People matter to God. He wants our faith to be strong. He wants our relationships to be deeply forged around the the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. A family of God where everybody knows your name. (laughs) <laughs> don't you like that that I was going to play that theme song from that old program Cheers. You know, I want to be at a place where everybody knows my name. That's what I want. Where everyone knows my name and they're always glad that I came. I want to be where people see that the troubles are always the same. I want to be at a place where everybody knows my name. That's the body of Christ that gathers together. And folks, we have to fight for it. Cuz everything is pulling us away. Well, no, I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to be a part of a small group. Are you kidding me? When tough times come, you'll be deeply regretful. As long as Fellowship Bible Church is going to be here, we're going to be teaching the Word. Systematically, expositionally, relevantly, we need to know the Word, like the book of Romans. We're going to continue to be a local church that puts a priority on, on small groups and gathering together so we can interface with one another and love one another and <laughs> know each other's names and be a part of each other's lives. I pray we'll become more and more that way. And there's good news. As we keep running that race, as we keep connecting with one another and and are grounded and established in the truth of God's word. We've got a hope. You see, the God of peace is coming back, and he's going to crush Satan under our feet, the body of Christ. And Paul says it's going to happen soon. Well, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. It's a lot sooner today than it was when he wrote it. (laughs) But Jesus is coming again, and he's going to crush Satan under the feet of his body, his church. So let's be the church. Let's know each other's names. Let's love each other. And let's stay in God's word for his glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may we honor you in our life together as a body of believers. Understanding the times in which we live not sticking our heads in the sand, but understanding the, the challenges that are facing us today and that await us tomorrow. But Father, oh, that we can do it together in relationship together in a place where everybody knows my name, where I can come and realize troubles are just the same and we need each other. We love each other, and we're going to be grounded firmly and established through this book, the Word of God. Help us not to depart from it, nor from one another, but to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in his body, the fellowship of the believers, just like the church at Rome. In
1: Jesus' name I pray, amen.